0: There are a couple of things that's interesting about Mars. It's like a planet that's like somewhat similar but not very similar to Earth. So there is potential for life to be there. There's potential for water to be there. And it's potentially a planet where we could live. And also like I I was born in March and it is Mars. So it's like, okay, there's a connection there.
1: (laughs) We could have never predicted the events of last year and while many of the effects continue to be felt, we've learned to adapt personally and professionally. As a pastry chef, the way I approach my business has transformed tremendously. So I'm talking to entrepreneurs from various industries to follow their journeys, find parallels, and learn from their insights along the way. I'm Pooja Dhingra, and you're listening to my podcast, No Sugar Coat, where the sugar stays in the kitchen and out of the conversation. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Gadada Reddy, an inventor, entrepreneur, and visionary, whose goal in life is to make the human race a species that can travel from planet to planet across the universe. He talks to me about looking skyward at an early age and how he has worked on creating carbon nanotubes to make spacecrafts lighter, safer, and more affordable. His dream is to set foot on Mars. And so naturally, I asked him if he would take a macaroon with him to the red planet. Hi, Gads. Welcome to this episode of No Sugar Code.
0: Hello, Pooja. Thank you.
1: I'm really so excited to have you on because I feel that you have one of the most unique stories that I have heard. And I've actually gotten to know you in the last four years. We've spent some time together at different, you know, fellowships and travels. So I'm so excited to talk about everything that we've discussed. And I hope that we can get into everything that we have discussed (laughs) offline. You know, the first time I met you at the Inc. Fellowship four years ago, you were introduced to me as the Elon Musk of India. That to me was just like, wow. And then the next thing someone told me is like, he's going to Mars. So so I just wanted to get into that directly and start with your journey to
0: wanting to go to Mars. So it really uh, started off as a goal uh, from childhood. So it used to be that I used to ask a lot of questions, trying to figure out how things work, why we exist. And like I had a grandpa who was philosophical, who used to ask these questions to us. And like, like say, okay, why do you exist? Who are you? And stuff. And these are like really hard questions with hard answers. And he was of the opinion that, okay, so philosophically, you can't really do anything on your own uh, violation. You can't really have like purpose of your own because it's all decided for you. So I was like, I don't believe all that stuff. It's like, I should be able to decide what I want to create. And at the same time, I had been reading a lot of books, uh, like trying to find answers. And one book that made a lot of influence on me was called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So this is an interesting book that talks about just events from people's lives on what they did and why they did something. And what was the secret sauce that made things happen? So secret sauce is like you just be focused, like decide on one thing and just go after it completely. And that's the, that's the only secret that exists uh, in the world. So I said, OK, so there's a philosophy of life that says that I can do anything I want as long as I can stay focused on it and just go completely in. And there's also this validation of all the people who have actually done some really cool things in life by just doing that. So I'm like, okay, so I need to decide on something and it can be anything in the world and just go after it completely. And then miracles could happen. And if it really happens, then I believe that, okay, that's how the world is. We're all interconnected. And by focusing on one goal, we can get a lot of different people together and make things happen. So that's my experiment with life, like trying to test somebody what it was. <laughs> You've
1: just made your whole life an experiment to find answers. No, I think that's great. And I also do believe yeah. deeply in this philosophy as well of, you know, once you have this, okay, maybe my goals are not as audacious as yours. But, um, you know, once you have like really big goals to work towards, and I usually break up my years into that. So I, I pick a goal for the year and I say, but you've picked a goal for your life. And I think that that is (laughs) so incredible. And it started when you were, what, 15, when you decided that you wanted to do this?
0: Yeah, so it was like 14, 15, and I was clear that this is what I wanted in life and have just gone in pursuit of that. It was uh, like a lot of things that were quite interesting. One was a visit to one of Asia's largest observatories near Valor called the Vainu Observatory, where I got to see uh, the stars, like, you know, without any light pollution, when you see the stars, they're just so beautiful. And they're just so attractive they're like beckoning saying okay why aren't you here already and stuff. So that's what i felt when looking at them and another interesting thing is like the science that's used for defining like say why does a star exist why does it leave how does it die and you can are you able to calculate that down to like the smallest time stamps and you have theories that do that and there was an opportunity wherein you could use those exact same theories to create new materials that could one day take us Back into the cosmos. So, the, all of this was attractive. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. So, at 15, you're like, okay, I want to make my life's mission to go to Mars. How does one progress from there? What did you do? What has your life been since then? If you could just take me through a brief journey of everything that you've done to chase this goal of yours.
0: Sure. So the first thing was uh, attending a lot of summer schools. It's nice to be in Bangalore with Israel being here. It's just so much easier to get access to the scientists. They would come by, give talks. So school, I had access to that. And then I took up summer schools in astronomy, again in Bangalore itself. And here, like we got to meet the astronauts, like Rakesh Sharma was there in one of the meets and stuff. So we got to learn about things. And the more I interacted with people, I used to ask, like, okay, so why can't I go on a rocket into space? Like what's stopping me? And it would be like, okay, so it's an expensive program with only governments that can fund it. It costs like a couple of billions of dollars to send it. So one thing that was clear was, okay, if I'm going to go in on a government mission, it's going to be a bunch of probabilities, which I'll probably never achieve. And so it has to be like something that has to happen privately. So I'll have to have control over building the vehicle. So it was like, okay, so then how do I convince a lot of people to put me? So what I thought as like the best plan was like, okay, if we have like some kind of, an activity happening in space for which everyone keeps traveling and then take one of the rockets and then sneak off into Mars and then finish off the journey. I was like, that's <laughs> that's what was my childhood <laughs> plan. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I felt that was simpler because then people would put money to build a lot of rockets. And so that, it, that was like my naive thinking. And uh, then to create such an economy, what do we need that could be generated in space? It used to be like, you could generate lots of energy in space. And you could build satellites that could generate that, capture that energy and beam it down to earth and use that. So that was like the idea that, okay, you're going to build like a massive energy source that's going to send energy down to earth. So you're going to have lots of rockets going up for that. Take one of those rockets and get to Mars. That was the plan. <laughs> when I started off with this
1: I have two and questions <laughs> for you. <laughs> I'm going to cut. You I have two questions for you. One is how does your family react to this mm-hmm. when you tell them that this is what I want to do and this is what my life mission is? And second, why Mars? Mm-hmm. Of why do you pick Mars? Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, the first thing was like, so when I was thinking of these things, I knew that they were very naive. So I did not bother telling anyone that this is what I wanted to do. I was more focused on like, okay, so if I have to get to the end goal, what are the current steps that I need to take? So as I started breaking down those steps, I was like, letting in people only to each step at each phase of my life. So the first step was like rockets are great. So you need lots of rockets. You need to build all this stuff in space. But what do you build the stuff with? What's preventing us from doing that? And the problem there is that we the materials we use today are still quite heavy. The aluminums are light, but they're still quite heavy for space and they can't withstand the extreme conditions of space. So trying to find out, okay, so it's a materials problem that's preventing us from building these things. So we need to create a material that's very strong. And what's the answer for that? And then it's like, okay, you need to build something that's artificial because there's no natural material that can meet this criteria. And this has to be a specific arrangement of atoms. So it's like the material is called a carbon nanotube. And to get to carbon nanotube, you need to know a field called nanotechnology. And so when I went in for my college and stuff, it was like, okay, so how do I study nanotechnology when there's no subject called nanotech on offer? It's like you just study the next closest thing, which is electronics. So it was like, My parents knew that I wanted to study electronics and nanotech, but they had no idea that I wanted to go to space and do all these things. That was never part of conversation at all. So I I knew that it's like it's just going to be insanity doing that. And so once the electronics was done, then the nanotech was done, then I'm like, OK, I need to start a company that makes this stuff. Otherwise, I can't really do much with it. So it was like, OK, I'll start a company that makes carbon nanotubes. And when I went about telling people that, you know what, I'm going to make carbon nanotubes, but without any of the rest of the picture out there, it was like, okay, you must be crazy. Why would anyone want to do carbon nanotubes in India? Because nanotubes are incredibly complex. They're incredibly small. They're like 2 lakh times smaller than a hair strand. And the size of them is measured in atoms, like six atoms. And you need to make stuff that is accurate down to just two atoms. Like you need to literally place atoms to make that stuff. And nobody in the world had figured it out. And so I went around, first thing I did was like, I need to go around the country, try to get support for it, like meet the science folks and everyone. And the only answer I got was it's not possible. So I named the company Nopo for not possible. And I didn't tell people why I named it Nopo for three years until I made the nanotubes. Then I'm like, see, all of you said it's not possible. So I made it Nopo. (laughs) So that's how it was for me. And then when that phase was reached, okay, I have the nanotubes. Now we can move things to the next phase of the plans. So it's like you'll see more layers of me as time progresses. And oh, so also we, don't, we, don't even,
1: we don't even know what's going to come. So you, you're not letting us in on everything yet. Only what we need to know. But I actually yeah. want to go back to the point where you said that for three years, everyone kept telling you that this wasn't possible and not possible. And since this podcast is mostly about like, you know, going under the layers of success and trying to see how, you know, failures affect you as entrepreneurs and what happens. What was your mindset like during that time? And what gave you that conviction that even though everyone that I have met, this is something that's never been done before. This is something that is going to be super challenging and probably require a lot of capital. What was it in you that made you pursue it? And did you at any point feel like it wasn't possible?
0: Yeah, so yes, it was a hard choice. So I've kind of uh, been accustomed to taking the contrarian viewpoint and taking the position on like the David side, or the Goliath side. So that's kind of been something that I find very attractive, like taking hard challenges and going after them. If it's easy, it gets really boring for me. And so that was there as a motivation that, OK, this is a hard problem. And there were many times when things did not work. Like So none of the reactors I designed ever worked, or any of the single components that I had to design ever worked in the first go it was an expensive process of learning how things work in india how things work around the globe and how to connect with people so it was like initial phases where you have to learn about the engineering and it was all about trying to solve engineering problems and just going after it again and again i feel what trait uh, helped me a lot was that when i when i'm going or trying to work on something if it doesn't work Uh, And if I am like fully crestfallen, you can expect me to come back again tomorrow, do the same thing again, try to figure out why it didn't work. So I was like recently looking at my Duolingo profile and I was looking at like, okay, how i am progressing with respect to all my friends and stuff? The only thing that's common for me is like, if I'm learning a language and I like that, I'm going to go back. If it's six months or later, I'm still going to go back and do it again and again. And that's what really helped me that when things were failing too, I would like, okay, so this is failing. So what should I do now? And how can I fix this? Should I take a different approach or should I try this again? What could have gone wrong? And so it's just a bunch of questions. And there were many times when I would just sit alone in front of the reactor and be like, okay, I did everything right. Why isn't, why aren't you (laughs) working? What's
1: going (laughs) on?" You were having a (laughs) conversation with the reactor.
0: Yeah, it felt like it. How did you put
1: the capital together for this when you started? Was it just friends and family? How did that go?
0: So initially it was uh, friends and family. Like The parents were very supportive. So one of the first things I learned was like since I knew that I would make a company that has to make nanotubes and i had been uh, like winning a bunch of entrepreneurship competitions. Like when I did my master's in nanotech in the US, like I made sure that I was part of the business school, like trying to take pro part in things and won the business plans. And one of the interesting things I picked from it was the importance of family and the family being together while you're pursuing like audacious goals. So the first thing i did was to do a powerpoint presentation to my parents and my brother <laughs> and, <laughs> and the powerpoint was titled what i want to do in my life
1: How cool <laughs> <is that?
0: laughs>
1: what did this powerpoint have
0: oh it, it went through like okay so you you expect me to get married have kids and stuff i don't want to do that right now this is my plan i want to first like take a huge risk in my life i want to create this and this is the best part of my life that I can take any chances. And whatever work you want me to do, I can still do it later. And like, I, I have the skills for getting it ready, field like computers or something that I just love. Like, so there's, there's no worry for me and you're not to disturb me on that. And this is my focus. Like I have to make this happen. And I need you to be supportive and be part of my journey on this. And my mom was like super excited. Like, okay, she's like the emotional person in the family. She's like, yes, yes, you should do that, sir. I'm so proud of you. And dad's a lawyer. He's a logical type. He's like, you know what, you have to give me a printout of your presentation. <laughs> Let me go through that. <laughs> and I made it clear, like, whether you agree or not, I'm going to do this. But I want you to be on my side while I make this happen. So that helped, like, having the uh, family. And my brother especially, he was, like, very supportive uh, throughout. You haven't told me why Mars yet, though. So it, it was mostly, like, looking for... I, I was looking for something that was audacious and difficult to reach because I felt that if it's an easy goal, then it's easy to accomplish. And then I won't know what to do after that. So I wanted to set something that was hard and difficult and on borderline, like impossible because, and that's stuff that gets me more excited.
1: So no one, no one in the world has ever been to Mars. Like you'd be the first person. No. Okay.
0: Yeah. if, If I make it there, I'd be the first person with everything going as per plan. Like so far, there haven't been any humans that have gone there. So there have been only robotic missions. India has had satellites flown to it, but no humans ever. And there are a couple of things that's interesting about Mars. It's like a planet that's like somewhat similar, but not very similar to Earth. So there is potential for life to be there. There's potential for water to be there. And it's potentially a planet where we could live and also, like, I was born in March, and it is Mars. So it's like, okay, there's a connection
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> Gads, for someone who goes with so much science behind everything, this March and Mars great, <laughs> great. Uh, okay, yeah. so now, so now you've, you've, gotten the, you've gotten the money to make the nanotubes. I've actually seen them in, in, when we were in France together. You, you showed me, like, a, a little jar of the nanotubes. Can you describe them and what they actually do?
0: So nanotubes are a form of carbon. They're like incredibly small, as you're saying, and they're in the form of tubes. So the way we make them in the lab here is uh, we take two gases. So we take in iron particles that we we create like very tiny iron particles, and then we take the carbon monoxide gas and we rip out carbon atoms from this gas and assemble it into the tubular form. That's what happens inside these reactors that we design. So the tubes themselves are super tiny, but when we look at it with our bare eyes, they look like like some highly prized ash because they look very fluffy very lightweight yeah, to fly that out. was
1: that was my impression when you showed it to me i was like this
0: <laughs> this is yeah. what I was doing. <laughs> 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 and what's interesting is that these tubes they have some very interesting properties so they are the strongest material that we know of they're about 100 times stronger than steel That each individual tube is just so incredibly strong they're also very conductive for both electricity and for heat. And they also happen to be very good water purifiers, like they're excellent water transporters, especially when they're made of a particular size. And it turns out that that specific size is what we have been making at NOPO. So uh, so this uh, is like a material that could improve our lives drastically, not just like making space accessible, but changing how we live uh, right here and improving life a lot. So it's like you have one magical material that could have ramifications as big as what the plastics have done for us and so that's what this is and uh, like producing it is incredibly hard and that's the problem i've been working on and that's what we have solved now and now we are trying to use the material to make these very strong structures so we can then use them to build uh, spacecraft parts and in the meanwhile uh, i've also been working with like folks who are building rockets so there's one team in the us called python space and uh, with them we've been testing out rocket engines and stuff in California and also like creating technologies uh, for Israel and stuff with the stem cells. so these are some things I've been doing.
1: I still remember one of our conversations and um, you know this is just to go back to see that when you have such a goal that I mean it, it consumes you right it takes your your entire life is working towards this one goal and You know, there are other functions of life which come up, which your mom has been pushing you for right now, I believe, (laughs) you know, like getting married or having a family, but your goal is to leave this planet, (laughs) you know. So um, I remember you telling me that everyone, every girl that you would meet in the first meeting, you would tell them, I can't do this because I have to go to Mars. And I just thought that, man, as someone who's been ghosted a lot, that is just a line that I wouldn't expect anybody to use ever. In your mind, like how does your life then pan out? And I, I know you told me that you got the mission down to how many people will fit into the spaceship, if you if you know if your partner has to go with you, what kind of person she has to be. I just want to understand like your mindset towards your like your actual personal life versus this goal that you have how do they merge or do they even
0: Mm. so so far they've been hard to bring together (laughs) because like the generally accepted rules of relationship are like highly violated with everything i do (laughs) because
1: you're like i'm leaving the planet (laughs) pie
0: i'll see you in like 30 years it's actually going to just be a two-year journey like going there and coming back and everything combined and so what i find interesting is like say i'm in a relationship and like i tell the girl like see like this is what's happening and stuff and then she goes tells her parents like see there's this guy i like him but then he plans to go to mars and it's going to uh, like happen in this time frame so and often the parents will be like no this is like shocking and how can you say this and everything and you have to break up and you guys can't be together. Like, how can she be with the person who says like, he has to go somewhere for like three, four years in his life and spend time on a different alien planet where nobody has been, which is risky and all that. And then I'll be, I'll start getting into like two minds. I'll be like, wait, so they just, they believe in me so much that I'm actually going to go, that this is just so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I can't have a person with me. <laughs> so it always lands me in that dilemma. That, okay. And and then often it's like people believe in me that I, I should be able to pull it off, like after having been with me for some time. And initially it'll be like, okay, he's probably just bluffing about it to just get a girl or like just do stuff. And once they see me working on things, they're like, okay, no, he's actually serious and he really knows what he's doing. And that like puts me in like a very big quandary, like of being both happy and sad at the same time.
1: Who are some of the people that you admire that you feel have changed, you know, some of these people that you've read about? If you could tell me who one or two of them are that you really admire, that you, you know.
0: So early on, I was quite influenced by Thomas Edison and his biography, because I felt it was like quite interesting the way he approached things and solved problems and tried to build out large things. And Napoleon Hill was another interesting author that was like quite influential. And his books about various people like Carnegie and all of these folks who made big things happen in life. And post that, I've also been trying to understand, like, okay, so how do things work in India? And like, how do you navigate things? And then I found more books about the Ambani's, like, okay, so this is how business is done, and this is how work gets done. And it's like, okay, so that's that's like really forward-looking thinking, and that helps a lot. So it's like, even uh, though I haven't met them personally, it was like learning about them, learning about how they did things that acted as a strong influence. And uh, so far, one other person that's been very influential has been my co-founder, like Kelly Bradley. So Kelly w- worked with a Nobel Laureate called Richard Smalley. And he's always been like the strong supporter, like always there to listen and, and be supportive of what we are doing and believes in the vision. He knows like realistically, like we have timelines that we have to meet, that some things take time, that they won't happen overnight. And he's been like very supportive. And besides that, it's definitely my parents and my brother. So who have uh, like believed in me and supported me throughout. So that's someone like, that's always there.
1: Gads, from reading all these stories about these people, Mm -hmm. what are three things that you feel that were your takeaways or 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 what you've understood of people that really change things and change the way the world works? If you could give like three attributes or three realizations, what are some of the things
0: that you've come to conclusions about people that actually do change the world? So the first thing is to believe in other people, to believe that they're trying to do good and they're trying to like make things happen too. That's I believe in you, Gads. I believe in
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, that's going to do a lot of magic. <laughs> so that really adds value in delegating uh, work, uh, like to, to be able to tell uh, like what you want to do and be able to focus around that. That's one of the most important things. The second most important thing that I've lately started realizing uh, is time that you can use money to buy anything in the world. You can get a lot of people, but time is one thing that we'll never get. And realizing how precious time is and being able to plan things around that, that's uh, the second most important thing. And third is that there's knowledge everywhere and that we have to just look for it. And one uh, ex was like sometime asking me like, okay, so why do you read so many books? Because I've always seen reading books. And I was like, well, somebody wrote a book, I have to read it, how can I not do that? <laughs>
1: <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to send you my next book to read. Um, <laughs> you know, so while doing research for this for this chat, I I read something really interesting, was that when you were, you know, when you started Nopo and uh, you started manufacturing the, the nanotubes, you did a lot of research on companies that failed mm. and you learned a lot from their failures. Can you take me through a little bit of that thinking and what then
0: what, what that was about? Sure. So everyone talks about risk and says, okay, it's hu- highly risky to start an R&D company. It's highly risky to develop new stuff. So I wanted to understand why is it risky? Like, what is it that's the problem? Because for me, everything is like a problem that needs solving and there's a solution somewhere. And so if we look at it from a different angle, we should find a solution. So it was like, okay, so the problem is that it's risky. So if it's risky, then what should I do to de-risk it? What are the avenues? And so started looking looking for information, found that every company, particularly the ones that go bankrupt, have to file their documents with the SEC in the US. So I could access those documents and see what happened, what went wrong. And I started reading the balance sheets to see where the money was going, what made it like become a, a bad thing at the end of the day. And also reading about the companies that made it big. What was working for them that did not work for the others. So like what I realized from looking at the companies in the nanotech space itself was one, like everyone starts a company with like very good intention. Everybody wants to hit the end goal, but everyone also wants to get paid very well when they get started. Like everyone wants like a decent salary to get started with. So most of these companies, whatever money they raised, they were all paying that in salaries. And the amount that was actually left over to build real stuff was very, very small. So that meant that whatever they had to create could not be created because they were just like paying themselves to you know, just sustain themselves or their families and stuff. So the first decision was, okay, so I need to make sure that I conserve capital. So even though I had raised money, I was like, okay, so I'm not gonna spend this on everything I want. I'm just gonna be very, very frugal on this and like be careful about the spendings and make sure that all the money is going into the equipment that I need. I can just give an example of things like, so typically for any company that makes nanotubes or a nanotech company, it requires a microscope. This is either a half a million dollars or a $10 million purchase, like for the one microscope. (laughs) So I can raise a million dollars. in India, like a seed funding would be like a million dollars. A series A would be like two to 5 million. So I could raise that seed or series and I can go spend it on that one microscope, and I won't have anything or nothing to do with that. So then it's like, okay, so how do you do that? Like anyone I would speak to in this would be say, like, okay, so that's it. We can't do anything because like we have that expensive microscope or this machine that w- that cost two hundred thousand dollars, and you can't do anything about it. You have to get it from this European company or the U.S. company. So what I did was, okay, so who would have a microscope that I could use? What's the specification that I would require, and like figure that out. So, like, one time, I got an electron microscope for office, like, this half or a million dollar piece that would, co- that would be new, that would cost so much. And I convinced the U.S. Department of Agriculture, like, they were, like, having an equipment on sale. And I bought it off on eBay for, like, $3,000 <laughs> for, like, half a million machine. But then...
1: How? <laughs> what? This is Jugat next level? <laughs> like...
0: Yeah. but But... And I was trying to find out like, why are they selling that for such a low price? They're like, we don't have anyone to operate this machine and it's more expensive to operate the machine. So we just want to get rid of it. I'm like, I'm happy, I'm <laughs> wanted, I'm wanted. Wow. And then i want it, i want it. Wow. And then I got it here. And then I called up the company that made this machine. And I'm like, guys, I have this machine. Now, can you give me a demo on how to turn this on? I have no fucking clue what to do with this. <laughs> They're like, okay, we're going to send in our expert. And the guy comes over. And he's like, sir, you know what? Uh, this is a nice machine because it had been serviced. It had been upgraded with everything. And it was like, wow. And he's like, why don't you turn it on? And then I'm going to show you how to use it. And I'm like, what? I have no clue how to turn this on. That's why I'm calling you guys. So then I started uh, researching the machine. And then I re- found a guy who had actually built one of these electron microscopes before. And like, I was like, OK, see, I got the machine. And I'd rather build a new machine because I have this in place. I can see how it works. But can you help me out with this? And he suggested a couple of old books like from the 40s and 50s. And I quickly got them on Amazon and like had waited like that one whole month for them to reach here, read through the whole thing and figured out how it works. And like I used like we had some of our lasers from astronomy lasers and stuff used them for aligning the beams and we got it working ourselves. That's crazy. and then I call up the guy and then he comes back again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, So to be honest, like we have never seen such a machine before. We know they are there, but we don't assemble them in India. So I have no clue. So I told, I thought you're not going to turn it on. (laughs) And I'm like, you should have told me that before. (laughs) So that way, like it it took some of my time for sure. I learned how it worked. We know how to fix it if anything breaks. And if required, I can build a machine of my own. Like it's not a big deal for me now.
1: So where does this entrepreneurial spirit come from, Gads? Because yours is, you know, science and, you know, you're running your own company now and how do you kind of balance the two right like because you have to do this page of Juga and get like you know a machine that's I don't even know a fraction of its cost but how do you how did you know where does this streak come from and then how do you balance the both the science and the business
0: I think of myself as being in like different modes so like the early stages of Nopo what it required me was to wear a hat of a designer so I had to be like the mechanical guy. The guy who was negotiating deals or negotiating components, because it was all just buying up stuff. That's what I had to do. So I, I built that uh, skill set of like being the person who could negotiate, who could understand how things work, and learn from the failures there. And then it was like, okay, you had to be the person who could build and like figure out how to operate these things. And then we were in the R&D mode, and which meant that there was no real business to do there because we didn't really have a product to sell. And we had to first create that product i could have conversations with customers but i could not give them anything to see and so in that phase all my focus was on building things figuring out like working late in the machine shop working with the co-workers there and stuff so that was that phase and then when it came to the phase where i was like okay so now we have a product and now we need to figure out how it works for the customer it was like reaching out to the customers speaking with them trying to understand how we could be helpful to them and stuff So it was a completely different hat and both the hats don't gel together at all. So when I speak to the customer, I can tell them like, see, this is how it works and this is what it was done, but this is my technical team. And they're the ones that are going to talk to you completely about it. And by believing in them, I've been able to delegate things like trust them to do the right thing. And so now what I do is like on the technical side, things can move uh, even without me. But when there's some piece of new technology or something that requires me, I just make sure that that week or that time frame is just spent only on that, solve that problem, hand it over to the operations, and then continue having conversations and looking at the next challenge and that. So I've kind of been like shifting between the modes, getting in people to the ones that have been figured out. And once like they're taught with things, people are like happy to take things forward. So that's how I've been doing things. Like, and the most important thing is to create a process for everything.
1: Yeah, I have learned that the hard way. <laughs> that is, definitely is. So yeah. so, so, what's the
0: next phase then? Oh, so right now we are in the phase where we're trying to get nanotubes into as many people's hands to make a positive change uh, in, in people's lives. And the most important thing is to leverage uh, like the properties. Like, for example, the water filters. So we've been able to make huge strides in that direction we've been able to develop a new class of filtration membranes that could potentially be much better than RO membranes and could provide water in quite a few inaccessible places. So we're working with the Indian Navy as part of the MOD's IDX program. And we're also working with a few companies in Mumbai like for water filtration itself. And we also recently won a grant from Niti ayog to use or, and develop new class of membranes for use in apartments for purifying water on the, at the spot. So it's like all our apartments can like purify water and just leave out the pure water and also know what the water quality is like. So that's what we are been developing. So that work's taken off in a big way. And we've also been uh, like we have signed an MOU with Lockheed Martin. We're one of the first startups to do that for using these nanotubes and various aerospace applications. So that's something we're doing. And that's something that's also close to me. Congratulations. Thank you. So that's something also that's very close to me because like we work with the world's largest defense contractor and ones who manufacture a lot of spacecraft. And so that's one opening that I'm very excited about.
1: Baby steps, getting there. What's the one thing about leadership that you know now that you wish you'd
0: known earlier? So if I had to talk about learnings over the last few months, it was about you know, like trying to understand like so let's say, what what am I going to be doing like in a month from now? on Thursday, and afternoon at 2pm. So can I plan that out? And so what's one thing I found to be the biggest differentiation between successful companies, and all of us trying to make it big. So it's like you have a process that's clearly defined, and that's made repeatable. And you're able to predict things far in advance. And I, I feel that that's something that could have made a huge difference for me understanding how the planning works, and how you could like create that. And if I were to go back in time with the current me, I would just give me this planning procedure methodology and come back. And I think I'd be accelerating much faster.
1: But then, Gads, imagine you plan all this and then 2020 happens and then COVID happens and this is something that nobody saw coming. Then all your plans would anyways go for a
0: toss, right? Oh, I would just lock myself in the lab like I did <laughs> and keep things moving. <laughs> so nothing can really stop. How was 2020 for you? It was actually very good. So we solved a lot of problems because I didn't have to get on the phone with any of anyone. So I could focus around building the things that I always wanted and like streamline my mind. And we were able to like come up with quite a few solutions, like get a lot more clarity on things and also figure out like, okay, so there was one sea change that happened, which was about all this while it would be like, I would say, okay, I I want to go to Mars. It's like my thing, my thing, my thing. And then it was like a huge change that said, okay, really like what's there about me in this? It's really about how much I can help other people. That's what's really going to make a difference uh, in the world. And for everyone else, it doesn't make any sense to want to support this work, unless there is uh, like a value creation that they're feeling happy and stuff. So it really has to be an outward looking.
1: So wait, so you want to take everyone to Mars now? <laughs> Started with just you going now?
0: No. I'm open to anyone. So it was more like, uh, so the Mars part, I just leave it to people. It's up to them to decide whether they want to go there. But it's mostly been like, okay, so I have nanotubes and I only wanted to use the nanotubes for myself. Now I want to use it for everyone else too. Like, so when I have a conversation with a company, so I'd be like, okay, so if, if I'm going to help Pooja with an Nanotiv, so how am I going to do that? Like, how can I help her? And what's going to be a differentiation that could help her? And then trying to put myself in your shoes, think through all the processes that you do and see where I'd be a value add, where it would help you a lot. And so that was one sea change that happened. So with a lot of the customers too, I was like, okay. So like, for example, even with the water, I could actually talk about that too. So it was like we were creating water membranes that were of the design that I thought would be like good. But when the flip happened, it was like, okay. so how can the customer actually use this? Where can we help them? And so when we developed the new membranes with like this new mindset, earlier it was like you had to develop a completely new class of manufacturing to make these membranes themselves. And then once the mindset shift happened, we developed a process where you had to change one tiny step in a 20 step process to get a superior performance at a much lower cost so it was like okay so now that's where I can help them that's what I'm doing for them and so suddenly the pe- when we reached out to people it was like they could see that okay he's actually trying to help me out and not just like you know like build his spacecraft and get off the planet so and that was a sea change for the business too so so that was what 2020 taught me like change my vision
1: that's amazing what is the one thing you know about money now that you wish you'd known earlier
0: Oh, so money has still remained the same. It's just a piece of paper with numbers printed on it. It's like people see value on that. But if we like lose ourselves by just thinking about money, we can't really proceed anywhere. But we really need to think of money as, you know, a means of like showcasing how much we have helped other people. And that's about it. There's nothing else that's there as value for it. And if we obsess about money as being the decider for doing anything, it's not going to get us anywhere it really has to be the end goal and figuring out how we are going to get there and how many people are going to get helped in us trying to get to that end goal. And that's what's going to really make it happen. If it's not going to help anyone, then it's not going to proceed anywhere.
1: What is the one thing that you would, if you look back now, you would say, I would never do this again?
0: Huh. I don't think there's anything like that because I just enjoy everything. And like, and even the nastiest stuff so
1: yeah there has to be some like no no regrets mm-hmm. you learn from
0: everything yeah i i don't have anything that i wouldn't want to do again <laughs> i just dive deep dive again Yep.
1: amazing and my last question for you although i think i know the answer already but what is the big picture for you
0: ah uh, so the big picture is like seeing a world where all of us are able to you know get to space or even travel across the planet. Like one of the most interesting things that building these spacecraft and these new space where the materials makes happen is imagine being able to travel to the US in 30 minutes flat. So that's what these things can do. And so having these materials like available over the next five to ten years, this is what's gonna happen. That you can travel anywhere on the planet, just like it is on a small short commute in our cities today. And so that's a huge change that it's gonna do. And the moment we have these intraplanetary travels, it's just a small step to become interplanetary traveling
1: for
0: wow. the same kind of technologies.
1: My mind can't even go there. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for having this conversation. I can't wait to see everything that you achieve and you build and you create. And uh, we must take a macaroon to space. That's what our, that's what our goal brilliant. should be. Also. <laughs> You're gonna, I'm going to give you some dessert to take to Mars with
0: you. I, I was thinking of taking the macron maker also into space.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's do yeah. I mean, I don't know about this two year travel man. I can't do a twenty four oh, hour. No.
0: Just go to space. Like it's just gonna be like a twenty four hour trip or like a twelve hour trip. Go see the planet and come back. And you don't have to go all the way to Mars to get to space. Like okay, space done. is just twenty kilometers above you. Okay, okay,
1: okay. Yeah. Space space I'm
0: in. I mean I'm,
1: yeah. in, I'm so, in for this plan. <laughs>
0: So right now, the biggest problem is like, if you were to get on a spacecraft, it could blow up every (laughs) hundred times and it's perfectly acceptable. (laughs) So I want to change that. Like it never (laughs) blows up. I'm not coming with
1: you. (laughs) Please, you go alone (laughs) and wave from far.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly the situation right now if you were to get on a rocket that everyone else is building today, that's going to be the situation if you're going to come on a rocket with me, it's going to be like getting on an automobile it's going to be so much safer, that's what I'm trying to create with the nano teams, you're going to live longer for sure <laughs>
1: awesome, I can't wait for that day, thank you so much for this conversation I am very inspired and I, I can't wait to set some big audacious goals for myself, thank you so much cats, for this
0: Thank you, Pooja.
1: That was Gadada Ready in conversation with me, Pooja Ringra, on No Sugar Coat. By the way, Ler 15 now delivers across India, so go get your sugar fix at l
0: 15com